age-old question. It's been written about, debated by philosophers and writers and pondered by people for centuries is this question. Does God exist? And, and if he does, does he really care? Is he all that concerned with us? Believe it or not, the, the vast majority of people have concluded that God does in fact exist. Atheists are a small yet vocal minority, but, but many of those who have, have landed at this conclusion that God does in fact exist still question how mindful and how concerned He is with us. Many people you've encountered, many people I've encountered in this world, friends, family, co-workers, even some in the church have questioned the role that God plays in their lives. There are some of you in here this morning who have at one time or another have asked this question, does God care? Does he really care? Does he care about the evils in this world? Does he care about the good things that people do? Does God care about those who are suffering? Does God care about poverty and malnourishment that is such an issue in our world today? Does God care about our world leaders and what they do and and don't do? Does God care about people individually, the good and the bad things that they do? Does God care if people worship Him? Does he really care if people read their Bibles and attend church? Does God care how we view him, how we treat him, and how we view and treat one another? Does God care about us at all? If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Amos. If you're not real sure where Amos is found, it's in the minor prophet section of scripture between Joel and Obadiah. And if that doesn't help you anymore, uh, you can look in your table of contents and find where Amos is, find the page number and get there that way. However you get there, get there, okay? We are continuing our sermon series this morning through the minor prophets And the major message of Amos is that God does exist and that he is a hands-on God. We learn from Amos that God cares. He cares a lot. This is made plain in his book. There are several ways that we see that God cares in Amos. And we're going to discuss these as we take a broad yet brief look at this book. First, he he shows he cares, number one, by sending a message of judgment by way of a prophet. Listen, folks, if God had no concern for his people, we would not have this book right here. Nor would we have any other book in this section of Scripture. The very fact that we have God's Word in our own language, that should show us that God cares a great deal for us, right? The very fact 
that he has sent people to make his message known. And he has worked in and through people throughout history to write this message down for us. And to get this message in our language for us shows that God does care a great deal about us. Throughout God's word, throughout the history of the church, we see God has done this. We also learn that when his people get off track, he goes to great lengths to redirect his people back to what's right and true because God cares. We find that here in the book of Amos. Now, before we get into the message of Amos, let me share with you a bit more about this this prophet here. Like I said, when introducing this study, though we don't have a lot of information on any one of these prophets in this section of Scripture, we do learn a little bit about Amos from his book. In this book, we learn Amos, nobody special. He wasn't anybody special. He was from the southern kingdom, and he was a shepherd and a farmer. Yet though that's the case, Amos was called by God to be his prophet. He's called during the reign of King Uzziah in the south and Jeroboam in the north, which gives us a better understanding of of what was going on at this time when Amos ministered. We know that during this time, when these two kings were in power, things were good in both the northern and southern kingdoms. Things were good politically, militarily, and economically. This was one of the most prosperous times for the Jewish people during this divided kingdom period. Yet, though that's the case, though this is one of the best times in this this period of time for God's people, Though it's good for them, things are good for them politically and militarily and economically, it was a low point for God's people spiritually. And the fact that God sends this prophet during a prosperous time in this nation's history should tell us something about God, right? It should show us what's most important to him. Israel had strayed from God spiritually. That's what God's concerned with. This time in Israel, idolatry was common practice. And because of their wealth, people had become lazy and greedy and overindulgent and prideful and corrupt. And though they were still carrying out the regular requirements for worship, their hearts were far from God and their relationships with one another was in shambles. So God, because he's mindful of man, because he's concerned with the spiritual condition of his people, because God cares... He sends Amos to the northern kingdom to speak against their wickedness. But not just their wickedness. He sends Amos to speak out against the wickedness of all the nations in this region. Notice in chapter 1, verse 3, Amos travels to the northern kingdom and he begins by preaching against Damascus. Chapter 1, verse 6, he preaches against Gaza. Chapter 1, verse 9, he preaches against Tyre. Chapter 1, verse 13, he preaches against Ammon. Chapter 2, verse 1, he preaches against Moab. So we see here, 
God is mindful of all peoples, right? He's not only concerned with the wickedness of his chosen covenant people, but with all peoples everywhere. Believers, we tend to think when we read through the Old Testament that God's heart and his mind is just upon the Jewish people, right? We do. We, we think as we read through that, that that is his only concern. And then that changes when Jesus comes onto the scene and then he starts reaching out to the Gentiles as well. But that's not true. Remember, God told Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And through this nation, all nations will be blessed. You see, God has always had his eyes fixed on the nations. His desire for all peoples to know him and worship him has been his desire from the beginning. We see that here in the first part of Amos. God is concerned. He cares about people everywhere. Now, you have to think that when Amos goes up north and begins to preach against all these other nations... He's probably preaching to the choir at first, don't you think? I'm sure you had many in the northern kingdom of Israel who heard Amos at first and thought, that's right, Amos, you tell them. Preach against those godless nations of Damascus and Gaza and Tyre and Ammon. They probably think it sounds good to me. Let God destroy those nations. Let his fire fall on them. So that we can even become more prosperous at their expense. Well, look at chapter 2, verse 4. Look what Amos says here. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have rejected the law of the Lord. Verse 5, I will send fire upon Judah and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. Now notice here, Amos is hitting a bit closer to home, isn't he, for Israel by speaking out, speaking judgment against those people, God's people from the south in Judah. Remember we said when introducing this study, these books were written during the divided kingdom period. God's people had been divided. Ten tribes went up north, two remained in the south. And we said that when the writers refer to Judah or Jerusalem, they're talking about the southern kingdom. And when they mention Israel or Samaria, they're talking about the northern kingdom. So so Amos here is talking, he's speaking against, he's speaking judgment against his own people from the south. And I'm sure that many up north were fine with that as well, don't you think? They were at odds with those in the south. Remember, they had broken from them. They believed that they were God's people and that the true place of worship was up north in Samaria. Remember, Jesus has a conversation with the woman at the well from Samaria, and she's asking him this question, where's the true place of worship? I mean, it was taking place hundreds of years later, right? Those up north, they believed we're the true people of God. And where we worship, the the temple we've set up is the true temple of God. So they were probably fine with Amos' message that God's judgment was going to fall on those in the south. They're fine with Amos' message up until chapter 2, verse 6. Look at what Amos says. He says, thus says the Lord, 
for three transgressions of Israel and for four, which by the way just means for Israel's many transgressions, for their many sins, he says, I will not revoke the punishment. Who is Amos talking about here when he mentions Israel? Talking about those up north, right? Remember again, we said Samaria, Israel, they're in the northern kingdom. So Amos has been talking about God's judgment on all these other nations. And he finally brings his finger back around to those in the northern kingdom. And he tells them, because of your wickedness, God is also going to punish you. He says in Amos 2.13, God will crush you. Wow. Strong words, right? Now, when those in the northern kingdom heard this message, do you, do you still think they're okay with it? Do you still think they're like, sounds good to us? Now, they didn't like it one bit. I mean, picture this. You have a nation at the height of political power and economic prosperity. In their eyes, things are great. And then you have this country bumpkin, this farmer from the south, from this cow town of Tekoa, come in and say, judgment's coming because of your wickedness. They didn't like it. I mean, put yourself in their shoes for a minute. Imagine if things were the best they've ever been financially in our country. Imagine everything is stable politically. You're doing well personally. Gas prices are low. Try to imagine it, okay? I know it's hard. Housing market is good. You just got a big promotion at work, and a guy comes in from another nation and says, God is not happy with the state of things in the U.S., and he's not happy with you personally and spiritually, and he wants you to repent or judgment's going to come. Many of us, many probably in our churches would say, what do you mean? What do you mean God's displeased? You sure couldn't tell it. By the state of things, financially, God's blessing us. Things are great financially and, and, and politically. What do you mean that God's not okay with us, that he's displeased with us? I'm sure that's how many in the northern kingdom felt. I'm sure for that reason and for many others, they were in denial. By the way, this was not just the common people who were in denial on this message. They, they were not the only ones who rejected Amos's message. You even had those in religious leadership who were doubting the message of God's prophet. I'll tell you what. You got those in religious leadership questioning God's word through his prophet. You got problems. They had problems. Look at Amos 7.12. Flip over there, Amos 7.12. I got you flipping. It's a big book for the minor prophets. Look at what it says here, Amos 7, 12. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there. Am Amaziah said, go, Amos. Let me ask you, do you know who Amaziah was? He was a priest. He was a priest in the northern kingdom. You have a priest 
telling God's prophet, go away. Get out of here. Go back to Judah. Prophesy there. Things are good here. Leave us alone, Amos. Do you think Amos listens to Amaziah? Do you think he says, oh, I'm sorry, oh, great and wonderful Amaziah. I'll just be getting my things and going. Is that what he says? Is that how he responds? No, he's got a higher calling on his life, doesn't he? God has called Amos. So he, he stands his ground. This is a great lesson for us. Listen to this. Great lesson we learned right here from Amos. Listen, don't let anyone shut you up when you are faithfully sharing God's word. Don't let anyone stand strong on God's word. Stand firm there. We learned that from Amos. Amos remains obedient to the Lord. He prophesies anyways. Look at what he says in verse 14 of chapter 7. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. He's about to give it to him, isn't he? He says, you say, do not prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord. See what he's doing there? Saying, you're telling me that I shouldn't preach against you. Let me tell you what God says. And then look at what he says. Your wife shall be a prostitute in the city and your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. Wow. Amos didn't hold back, did he? He says here, you guys are going into exile for your wickedness. Again, notice here, Amos is a herdsman. He's a farmer. He was just an average Joe when God called him. But the Lord, he said, took me from following the flock and he sent me here. So Amos knew beyond a, a shadow of a doubt that God had called him and he was faithful to this call and he was faithful to God's message even when the top religious leaders of the day questioned it and wanted him gone, he stood strong for God. He listened to the word of the Lord. He responded favorably to it. And he did exactly what God had called him and had told him to do. There's wonderful lessons here, folks, right here in the book of Amos. Once again, we learn God's mindful of his people, isn't he? He's mindful of us. He, he knows us. He cares about us. He wants us to know him and live for him. He knew and commissioned this average, everyday person, this farmer from the south named Amos. He called him out, sent him to a land, a foreign land, and he used him in a mighty way for his purposes. And we see that though God was angry with Israel he sends Amos to them to tell them about their sin and to call for them to repent. God cares, doesn't he? He does. He sends Amos. In chapter 5, verse 14, he says, Seek good and not evil that you may live. We learn that God cares about his people. He wants them to repent. And guess what, folks? God is the same today as he was then. Do you know that? He is. Same God. 
We're told very clearly throughout His Word that He's mindful of us, that He cares for us, and He cares about whether or not we live for Him. God's message to us today, similar to Amos' message in that He calls for us to repent or perish. That was Amos' message. That's our message today. Repent or perish. In Luke 13, 3, Jesus says just that, doesn't he? He says, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The question for us today is, will we listen? Will we respond? Or will we perish? So we learn in Amos that God cares. He he cares so much for his people that he sends a message by way of a prophet. Another way God shows he cares in this book, another way he shows his concern, point number two, is by addressing the way people approach him in worship. We asked earlier, does God even care if we worship him or not? Does he care if we pray to him? Does he care if we read his word? Does he care if we attend his church? Well, in the book of Amos, we learn not only does God care that we worship him, but he is very concerned about the way in which we do so. We've said time and time again in here that worship is why we were created. We even sing in here on occasion, you and I, we were made to what? To worship. Exactly right. God tells us that. He also tells us in his word very clearly that there is a right and a wrong way to approach him in worship. Think about the first three commandments of the Big Ten. God tells his people Israel, I am the Lord your God, and you are to have no other gods before me. And by the way, that's translated in my presence. God says... You're to have no other gods in my presence. In Theology 101 question, where's God's presence? Everywhere. So God says, you're to have no other gods anywhere. That's what he's saying. You're not to have any gods anywhere. No rivals. He also says, do not make for yourself any carved images. Don't make me into one. Don't make false gods into one. You're not to bow down to them. You're not to serve them because I am a jealous God. He also says, you're not to take my name in vain. You're not to use my name in an empty way, in a meaningless way, but you are to use my name in an honoring and worshipful way. He tells his people, you are my people. I am your God. You are my people and you are to love me with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Folks, Israel had missed this. They had missed this. They had missed all this completely. Though they took part in worship, they did not do so with the heart for God. They were guilty of doing what Isaiah accused Judah of doing in Isaiah 29, 13. They were drawing near to God with their mouths and honoring him with their lips while their hearts were far, far from God. Though they were gathering for worship on a consistent basis, they were merely going through the motions, hoping their outward acts of devotion would keep them in God's good graces. When I was in college, I learned that a way to get in good with a professor was by showing an interest in the class that they were teaching. 
I would go to my world lit professors and I'd ask them questions about Shakespeare and other well-known authors and works. I'd talk to my political science professors about issues relating to their field of study because I wanted a good grade in the class. Just being honest with you, don't judge me. I was in a different state spiritually then than I am today. But I showed an outward interest to gain favor with my instructor, even though I didn't really care about a lot of the things I was asking about, to be honest with you. That's what many in Israel were doing. Did you know that? They were. They were showing outward devotion, hoping that would keep God happy with them. While during the week, they were living lives completely opposed to him. We learned from other parts of scripture that they were involved in idol worship. We learned from Amos, not only were they not loving God the way that they should, they were very unloving toward one another. Amos says in Amos 2, you trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and you turn the afflicted away. He says in Amos 5, 12, for I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, you who take a bribe and turn aside the needy. And we said this is a prosperous time. Israel and in their prosperity many of them had become greedy they had gotten to the point where they only looked to help those who could in turn help them and they neglected everyone else they're also sexually immoral listen again to Amos 2 he says at the end of verse 7 the first part of verse 8 a man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. And they lay themselves down beside every altar. That's a reference there to the sexually immoral sins of incest and ritual prostitution. Israel was sexually immoral at this time. They, they were doing all of these things during the week. They were whoring around with other gods. They were using each other, casting those in need aside, and they were whoring around with each other. And then they were coming in to their man-made temple, worshiping in a place God had never told them to worship because the true place of worship was in the south in Jerusalem, and they were going through the motions in worship. They truly thought they could live however they wanted to live as long as they were giving some time to God as well. Well, they learned how wrong they were, didn't they? Though God cares that we worship Him, He cares how we worship Him. He desires to be worshipped and worshipped in the way that He has set up. He's so passionate about this that he sends this country boy from the south to this big and prosperous nation to tell them this. Look at what Amos says in Amos chapter 5, 21 through 23. Turn there. You're going to want to mark this. Listen to this now. Amos 5, 21 through 23. God says, I hate, I despise your feasts. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Now keep in mind here, these feasts and these assemblies, God had told them to do, right? He says, I hate them. 
in verse 22. He says, even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Look at verse 23. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. They were keeping the feasts, offering sacrifices, singing and playing music to God. And here's what God says. I hate what you're doing. I hate it. I don't accept it. Take it away from me. Folks, listen to me here. We learned something very important about our God here, and it's this. Though God has created us to worship him, our rituals, our songs, our prayers, and our praises don't mean a thing to him if they come from a stone-cold and calloused heart. That's true. God tells us that. Worship is so much more than a song. It's so much more than the outward acts of our hands and feet. It's so much more than an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. It's so much more than a few songs and some lip service to God during a morning service. It's a Monday through Sunday activity that stems from a renewed mind and a changed heart. That's worship. Listen, you can be here Sunday after Sunday. You can have perfect attendance. Fill in every blank on your outline. Give the church 10% of, of your income or more without fail. That would not mean a thing to God if your heart's not right with him. That means little to him if you do not belong to him, if your lives are not his. I wonder how many in our services this morning, both are like the Israelites in Amos' day. How many come here each and every week, maybe serve, give, sing, take notes, then leave here each and every week and live the exact opposite out there in the world? I hope not many, but some do. Some have the mentality, I I know I'm not living the way I'm supposed to, but at least I'm at church every Sunday. Surely God will be happy with that. Though I'm living life for myself throughout most of the week, at least I'm giving God a day out of the week. It's not as much as some, but it's more than others. Surely God will be okay with that. You want to know how God feels about that? Reread Amos 5, 21 through 23, and you'll have your answer. God does not want empty religious practice. He wants you. He wants your hearts. He wants all of you or nothing at all. He's jealous for me. He's jealous for you. He wants your whole heart. He wants your whole life with no rivals. God cares, folks. He does. He cares about you. He cares about the way you approach him in worship. And he wants all of you for himself. God only asks for everything. That's, that's one of the messages of the prophets. All God asks for is everything. All of you. Final way God shows his concern for his people is by 
promising judgment and future restoration. Said last week in Joel, there have been many who have argued that the, the message of the prophets is a very cold and ungracious and condemning message. They argue that God's message through his prophets is very angry and unloving and harsh. I completely disagree with that. I believe the action of God in these books and in his message through his prophets is extremely loving and kind and gracious. You definitely see that here with Amos. The very fact that God sent Amos out once again, sent him to Israel, is a very loving thing for God to do. And when Amos gets there, Amos calls for them to repent. Amos 5.15, he says, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to you. That's a very loving and caring thing for God to do for this wicked people. Am I right? He could have just left them in their, in their broken and fallen and sinful state to continue in their wickedness without interruption. They could have continued on, continued to prosper economically and militarily and politically and perish spiritually, but God doesn't allow for that to happen. He sends his prophet Amos. And even when they don't listen, and God sends his people into exile, though that's a just act, and that God is giving them what they deserve, it's also a gracious act, right? God's judgments, his past judgments, are his mercy. Talked about that last week. Because we learned that in exile, his people often come to their senses, right? They come to the point where they see their need of God and they trust in him once again. So God shows that he cares for his people by intervening and calling for them to repent and punishing them when they do not so that he can later restore them. That's what he does. Look at Amos 9, 14 through 15. God says through Amos, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. Wow. God is gracious, isn't he? Isn't he merciful? After knowing what we know about this group of people, While God promised that Israel would be exiled, he also promised that they would be restored in the future. In fact, the very reason he exiles them again is so he can restore them. God had to get his people to the point where they were desperate and in need so that they could be restored. So we see here, That the message of of Amos, folks, is not just a message of of God's wrath and judgment, but it's ultimately a message of salvation and restoration. And again, God's message to us today is similar, is it not? Scripture is clear that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned away from the God who's made us. And because we have set ourselves against God, we're told in Scripture, God has set himself against us. But though that's the case, God has provided us a way to be restored to him. 
We learn in our story today that when Israel sinned, God sent his prophet, Amos, from the south to proclaim his message of sin and judgment and repentance and restoration. And several hundred years later, when God's people are in a similar state, God sends another. But this one's more than a prophet. He sends his son, Emmanuel, God with us, God the Son, the Lord Jesus. And Jesus, get this, like Amos, though he came from above, from heaven to earth, he grew up in the south, didn't he? He was born in the south, in the line of Judah. And his message, like Amos, was a message of sin and judgment and repentance and restoration. He called for all people everywhere as well to turn from their sin, repent, place their faith in him so that they too could be restored to God. And not only did he preach God's message of salvation, but he accomplished God's great work of salvation for us at the cross. So that we, through him, through Christ, could be made right with God again. So that we could be restored to God. If you're here this morning, you have never responded to this message. I urge you today, like Amos, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. But instead, listen. Listen to this message. Respond to it today. Turn from your sin. Give your life over to God's Son, the Lord Jesus. Make Him your Lord today. Let's pray.